we need to be doing the same when it comes to mental health. We need to be creating psychologically safe working environments. So tackling those causes of poor mental health in the workplace is vital. And one way that organisations can do that is to sign up to something called the Mental Health at Work Commitment, which is a set of six standards that all organisations can implement to start their journey on creating mentally healthy workplaces. You're listening to the Wellness Warrior at Work podcast by Hika. In this space, we share real, practical and eye-opening stories and advice from human-focused leaders who've put employee health at the center of their organizations. We discuss everything from engagement and motivation to mental and emotional health so that you have the tools and inspiration you need to make a real impact on your employees' well-being. So whether your challenge is getting leader buy-in, a low budget, or navigating a global crisis, this podcast will show you that you're not alone and that nurturing a culture where everyone is happy and healthy at work is possible. So let's get to work. Grab a pen and paper, find a comfy sofa, and let's start designing the wellness-focused culture you've dreamed about. This is the Wellness Warriors at Work podcast. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Wellness Warriors at Work, a podcast by Hika. Today we are joined by Faye McGuinness. She is the head of workplace well-being programs at Mind, the UK's largest mental health charity. Faye helps support employers across all sectors to prioritize mental health at work. And today we dive into strategies to getting senior buying and creating the right conditions for culture change. We also discuss how employers can increase employee engagement and involvement with wellness initiatives, as well as what leaders can do to support employees' mental health moving forward. So whether you're wanting to implement a new wellness initiative at your company soon, struggling to get engagement with your current offering, or simply looking to consolidate your strategies with advice from an expert, then make sure you're taking notes of all Faye has to say. Thank you so much for being here, Faye. It's great to have you today. Oh, thank you for having me. Really excited to have a chat. Thank you. So I wanted to start by discussing an obstacle which often prevents organizations from doing more in terms of wellness, and that is the level of employee engagement. So I wanted to know, how would you suggest or what advice would you give in terms of increasing engagement and involvement with wellness initiatives at an organization? So what we find usually is that the reason that there's a lack of engagement is because often employers don't ask employees what they might need or want. Um, So I would say that the first step uh, for any employer is to really understand the needs of the organisation. So we know many organisations do things like like staff surveys. We know organisations do things like pulse checks. We know that many organisations sign up to MIND's Workplace Wellbeing Index, which is a key way to understand the kind of needs of your organisation. But I think the first step has to really be understanding and listening to your employees to kind of understand the challenges that they're facing, but also the kind of um, interventions or programmes or services that they would like to receive. Um, I think we can often make assumptions that if we do certain things, that's going to be what people want. But actually, we find that talking to employees and really understanding their needs is a really good first step. Yes, definitely. Often, um, some organizations may see it as a kind of tick box exercise, uh, while in fact, it should be more of listening to your employees and their needs and then acting based on that. Thank you. My next question was related to a shift from treatment to prevention of the benefits offered at companies. So what would you say is a 
great way for leaders and employers from a prevention perspective to support the mental health of their employees. Yeah, so at Mind, we talk about something called the three-pronged approach. Uh, so the three-pronged approach looks at three areas. So the first is promoting well-being for everybody. So we all have mental health. Some people have mental health problems, some people don't, but we all have mental health and we all should take care of our mental health in the same way that we do our physical health. So the first thing an organisation should be doing is promoting well-being for everybody and that should be part of an organisation's day-to-day business. Then the second thing that organisations need to do is they need to tackle the root causes of poor mental health at work. So for many years we've been talking about health and safety, but in reality all that we talk about is the safety side of it. And I often talk about the fact that if you were in the office and there was a hole in the floor and you fell down that hole and broke your leg, your employer would make sure that they covered up that hole and you wouldn't fall down it again and break your leg. So we need to be doing the same when it comes to mental health. We need to be creating psychologically safe working environments. So tackling those causes of poor mental health in the workplace is vital. And one way that organisations can do that is to sign up to something called the Mental Health at Work Commitment, which is a set of six standards that all organisations can implement to start their journey on creating mentally healthy workplaces. And then the third strand of mine's um, three-pronged approach is providing support for people that have mental health problems. Because even if you are promoting well-being for everybody, even if you are tackling all of the causes, you will still have people in your organisation that are experiencing poor mental health. And so it is important that you make sure that you have the right support for those people. And that right support may be that they need to take some time off. Um, You know, they might need to take time off to look after their mental health. They might need to recover before they can come back to work. Or it might be that they need to be given the right support in work so that they can continue in their roles, um, but get the right support to manage their mental health. So we say that organisations should really look at those three prongs. And by doing that, you're kind of looking at the early intervention prevention space, as well as making sure people with mental health problems get the right support. Perfect. That's extremely useful. Thank you. What advice would you give in terms of getting that senior buy-in and creating the right conditions for culture change? So I think we have to be realistic here. So we know that there is a huge human cost um, of not tackling mental health. Uh, Today is World Suicide Prevention Day. So, you know, we're, we're having a conversation on the day that is about suicide prevention. And ultimately, you know, the cost of poor mental health could be somebody's life. So there is a huge human cost. But we also know that the cost of poor mental health at work to UK employers is £45 billion every year. So from a business perspective, that is a huge financial cost. And we know that £29 billion of that is actually made up of presenteeism. So people are in work, but they're not being able to be as present as they might be because they're not feeling at their best. And therefore, they're not being as productive as they could be. So actually, there is a very strong business case. And I would recommend that when you're trying to get that senior level buy-in, you need to bring the human case. So bring people that have lived experience of mental health problems to talk about the impact in the workplace. Those stories speak volumes and they're the most important thing to hear, but also use that financial business case. What we also know is that for every pound spent on a workplace wellbeing intervention, there is a five pound return of investment. So the business case is there for employers. So I think, you know, if if you are somebody in the organisation struggling or thinking that you need to get that buy-in, pull together your business case, 
look at the ROI, but also bring in those personal stories um, and really bring out the kind of impact that it has on people at work. I love that. And using just a mixture of those two human and financial aspects. Sometimes people forget one or the other, but I think that's perfect. Thank you for sharing. Another thing I wanted to discuss is obviously the pandemic has almost fueled the discussion surrounding employee well-being. But what do you think has been the greatest impact of C19 on the mental health of employees and how can employers and leaders best address that moving forward? Yeah, so might have uh, been doing or have done a rolling survey during coronavirus, so a six-week survey, and we can see from the results of that survey that there has been a, a big impact on the mental health of um, of the UK, you know, people, people across the UK. And then we looked at that from a kind of workplace perspective, so what are people in work feeling, um, and also what are employers feeling? Actually, I think some of the biggest issues that we're seeing is around the kind of working from home culture. So... And the issues that we're seeing in that area is there are some sort of positive benefits, but there's obviously some negative impacts. So this idea that people are feeling quite burnt out, they're not feeling able to switch off. They're actually feeling like there is no boundary between work and home. You know, you're, you're doing your work in your dining room and then you're eating in your dining You know, there, there are kind of various aspects to that not switching off. And there was a real issue in terms of burnout throughout the coronavirus um, the CIPD did some research on, and on average, people were working, I think it was an extra 29 hours per month um, at the peak of the pandemic working from home. So from, from, that in, from that stance, you know, the working from home is having a negative impact in terms of that kind of burnout and always being switched on. But then on the other side of that, there have been some positive benefits to people who have been able to spend more time at home, more time with their families, not having to commute, not having to, you know, all of the things that actually might have been a negative impact on people's mental health before. So the way that we kind of talk about it and the way that we are trying to get people to think about it is what have been the losses and what have been the gains. It's really important to identify that because Nobody knows what the coming months are going to look like. Nobody knows what the future of work is going to look like. But we all know that we've gained and lost something. So what we recommend is that employees um, complete what we call well-being action plans. And these are plans that you can find on the MIND website. And every employee should have one of these because it allows them to identify those gains and losses, but also the things that should keep them well while they're working from home. So it's really important that we all keep an eye on those things um, and keep a track on them. But then we can't forget that there are many people that have seen their employment status change, whether they have been on furlough, whether they're facing redundancy. So the, the impact on those people is different in terms of that anxiety about future career, you know, money, financial worries. Um, so we have to remember that we're not just talking about employees. We're talking about human beings that have you know, lives and commitments elsewhere. So I think, yeah, I think that that's been a huge impact. What I also think that COVID-19 has done is, is provide us with an opportunity. We have seen some organisations really accelerate their practice and actually recognise that staff mental health and well-being is the most important thing during this time. So organisations have had to start to implement uh, things that they might not have even thought about. Um, you know, we're all seeing into each other's front rooms. You know, everybody's been into my dining room over the past six months. We're all seeing the human side of each other. And I think that's really enabled some organisations to break down some of those barriers and break down some of that stigma. So I think now, now is the opportunity for us to fundamentally think about how we design work with mental health. So I hope, hope we take the opportunity. 
Yes, definitely. It's so important to look at the good side of it as well and then adapt based on our new, our new reality to do something better in terms of wellness. And simply to close, what advice would you give anybody wanting to implement a new well-being initiative at their organization? So I think it depends on your organization size, resource, capacity. You know, we know that for, for a lot of smaller organizations, it can feel quite daunting um, because it feels like this is, is quite a lot of work. Um, and I think the reality is, you know, it can be a lot of work. This isn't easy stuff. We're talking about humans. We're talking about culture. So what I would say as a starting point is organizations should look at the mental health at work commitment because it's a really clear evidence-based framework that sets out the steps an organization can take to prioritize employee mental health and well-being. Now, if you are a smaller organization, you might look at it and go, whoa, that is quite a lot in there. But actually, it needs to, you need to think about it in the context of your organization and your organization size. So there are small steps that you can take. There are a huge amount of resources and information and tools out there. You don't have to start from scratch. So we um, run something at mine called the Mental Health at Work website. It's the first stop for anybody that wants to know anything about mental health and well-being. And there's a huge amount of free resources on there. So look at the commitment. Look at the website. Start by trying to pull together an action plan. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, 20 pages long. It doesn't have to be big and fancy. But what are the small steps that you're going to do to make the change? Um, and reach out to organizations like mine. We're here to support you. Uh, we have a goal of supporting 1 million people to have good mental health at work by 2021. So we, you know, we want to help you. We want to make sure that we provide you our expertise and support. Um, so yeah, so please reach out to us. And it's so important in not looking at it as a big unreachable thing that you need to do, but just thinking of it in terms of, okay, this month we can do this and next month we'll do something better and just slowly building up towards that um, ideal wellness focused culture at an organization. Perfect. Thank you so much uh, for sharing all this insight, advice. I am sure that all of our community of leaders and wellness warriors will be able to use this and put it in practice to improve the mental health uh, for their own people. So thank you so much, Faye. No, thank you for having me. That was Faye McGuinness head of well-being programs at Mind. If you enjoyed our conversation, make sure you subscribe and stay tuned for more interviews with wellness warriors at work.